turning water into wine, the divine change maker. That's next on Truth For Today. He changes water into wine. Now, there are those who would seem to think it's nothing more than adding a bit of Kool-Aid to water, and voila. But what we're seeing here is much the same as changing cheese into steak. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. We continue our series here in the book of John. Today, we go to chapter 2 and the first 11 verses. The divine changemaker, this marvelous miracle of turning water into wine, and the significance With today's edition of Truth For Today, here's Pastor Phil Howard. We're doing studies in uh, John, not necessarily sequentially. (laughs) We're in John 3 last few weeks. Now we're going to go to John 2. Uh, I thought I would just go over this because I don't know what it means anyway. And I didn't know what it meant because it didn't take any time to find out. When you take... Have you ever found a, a difficult verse you read one time and said, I don't know what it means, so I'll never read it again? It'd be nice if you'd study it. Once you find out the meaning, it's a treasure. And so I think I have the final word on it today, and I want you to turn there. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. John never mentions her name. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. He has five of them now. He picked them up in John 1, five disciples. So Jesus comes with five men with him. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what have I to do? What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So that'd be 180 gallons max. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out, and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk, and and one translation is when people are semi-drunk is the idea. When you're, when you're half soused, you, you, you lose your taste buds. You're, you're not too picky. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Let me uh, just, first of all, walk you through a little bit of the uh, setting and maybe the narrative issues. One thing, he says, this is the first sign 
Jesus did. It was the first miracle. He did 35 miracles recorded in the four Gospels. John picks eight. And John tells you at the end of the book, I picked these eight miracles, and he uses the word sign, Simeon. And uh, in the book of John, he calls them either signs or works. I came to do the works of the Father. But when he says it's a sign, he wants you to know that it is a miracle with a message. That, that, that's the way that I memorize it. A sign miracle doesn't mean he wants you to just be kind of, ah, oh, that was great. He healed somebody. Ooh, ah. He said, no, no, that's the surface meaning. Turning the water to wine, that's surface. You, you don't have to be real smart to say, ooh, that's pretty impressive. But you will have missed why John used it and why it's called a sign and what the message is. The message is not Jesus is in the wine business. Some of you were hoping he was. Call him to all your parties to make up the lack of booze. Uh, no, 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 no. That, that's and by the way, the wine of that day, it was an interesting because as a whole, the average people, they weren't drinking 100 proof. Uh, some like scholars like D.A. Carson said it was one part wine, 10 parts water. Other scholars say it was one part wine, two to three parts water. Because you did have East Bay mud, you had no filtering system, and there is such a thing as amoebic dysentery when you drank bad water. So the fermentation and the alcohol was about their only preventive from picking up uh, microscopic creatures that can make you sick. So that wine was a great benefit. But they broke it down because they were just average folks. They didn't, they didn't have a lot of money. So the drinking wine of the day was enough to ferment to be a, a health issue. And it was what they used. He comes here and uh, brings the five disciples, comes to a uh, wedding. And the embarrassment thing is that they uh, run out of wine. Actually, according to Jewish law, you could sue a family at a wedding that ran out of the food. You're supposed to know how many show up, how many will be there, and any embarrassment of such a nature as that, they could sue them legally, if you could imagine. And so it was a great embarrassment to be running out of wine, and Mary picks this up. She wants to save the family disgrace and shame in a shame culture, and so she calls her son in to help out. Now, here's what's interesting. This is the first miracle that he did, because we have Christ living up in Nazareth for 30 years, and in 30 years, he did no miracles. And Joseph, the father of Jesus, the stepfather, since God really fathered him through Mary, uh, Joseph passes off of the gospel narrative early. So many uh, speculate that he could have died by the time Jesus was a teenager. Jesus, being the eldest son of Mary, would be the guardian and the provider for her in the carpenter shop. And so for 30 years, he's living, as it were, an ordinary life in obscurity. We see 
Mary at her purification. We see Jesus going to the synagogue and reading Isaiah. We see Christ uh, being circumcised. And those early childhood events, the flight to Egypt. But we've got just years. Where is God? Where is Christ? We thought he came in flesh. He's totally veiled for 30 years. And at this wedding is his coming out party. I'm going to begin to show you why I came, and I'm going to go public, and I'm going to tell you that the Creator God is among you, and now he's going to start doing things for the rest of his three years on the earth before he dies, and he's going to start showing what he's about. Now, one of the problems we have here, some scholars are upset that when Mary told Jesus, hey, they've run out of wine, and he very abruptly comes back, woman, what business are you having trying to get me involved in this wine business? See that? Woman, what does this have to do with me? And this is the beginning of the separation between the son and Mary. From now on, Mary, I'm on the father's business. I've been your eldest son. I've been there. And you've harbored the whole story of my beginning with you. And you know I'm going to bring you sorrow ultimately when you watch me die on the cross. But now a separation is coming. I'm on a different mission. And I do not answer to your beck and call about anything from now on. I'm carrying out the Father's will. And so you see this starting. Some take the word woman there as not disrespectful. Because even on the cross, he said to John, he said, woman, he speaks to his mother even from the cross, woman. And some take it to be the equivalent of the South's ma'am. You know, do you ever hear anybody say, yes, ma'am? Not in California, do you? What do you want? No, no, but I, I grew up with that, yes, ma'am. So it seems disrespectful, but it's abrupt. There is a sharp demarcation coming now in the relationship. Woman, why are you involving me? And seeing that they have wine at a party, I'm not about this. Well, why, Mary, have you forgot my mission? And I would think she had after 30 years. And then he says, my hour has not yet come. And when he uses this over and over, the hour means the cross and his glorification. My, my hour, I'm not to be hired out to solve emergencies. That's not what I'm about. And so Mary picks up what is said, and she simply says, do whatever he tells you. Whatever he wants you to do, do it. So she submits. She immediately gets it. And she said, no argument. Whatever he wants you to do, please do it. Well, they go, and they have these stone jars, 30 gallons apiece. That, that's a large jar. That's doing pretty good for ceremonial cleansing. And so the servants are told, fill them to the brim, and the max, 180 gallons. Now imagine having 180 gallons of wine at a party, and they've already drank a lot. So this is some miracle. And the miracle was not when they put the water in it. It was as they ladled it and put it in the containers to serve the people. So who knows? They may have filled them all with the water, and the only thing that turned to wine is what was served. And the other could have been thrown out as water. But we know this. He turned the water 
into wine. This was his first miracle, his first sign. So what in the world are we to get out of a miracle where Jesus turns water to wine? What is that in the book for? Well, I pick up four things, and uh, let's just consider them. The first thing I get and think of the message is that um, Jesus Christ, the creator God, alone has the power to change his creation. Christ alone, his creator, has the power to change his creation. Now, it's as though God steps off the throne in Christ and comes to a race that has rebelled against him. It's lying in ruins. He sees uh, the whole earth that was at one time a paradise. He sees deserts. He sees thorns. He sees diseased people, dying people. It's like you watching the TV and they have a documentary of a, a poor child uh, with a runny nose uh, sitting next to a garbage dump, and they say, send your money to help us. It's one thing to see it on TV. It's another thing to touch the little boy at the garbage dump. Christ had been seeing the ruin of the race from the throne. He is now come in among the race, and he comes, and when he comes to this problem, and he exerts his power as the creator power of God, he's saying, I'm coming to a creation that needs to be retouched by the creator. I'm coming to a creation that... Uh, can only be transformed, and I'm going to show you throughout my ministry, I am the transformer. I am the change agent. When I touch the leper, they get well. When I touch a dead man, he comes alive. When I speak to the blind, they see. The Creator is among us. All things were created by him, and now he's among us to begin a new recreation of fallen man. That's the first thing I see. I'm among you as the creator God to transform what you give me. Two, I think it's interesting that by the time Christ visits, uh, this may be stretching it, but you'll let me do it, I know, because you haven't studied it anyway. It's as though Christ is visiting a party and they run out. When you study what the significance of wine is, wine in the Old Testament represented uh, joy. Even the Messiah invites people in Isaiah 55, oh, everyone that's thirsty, come to me and let him drink. He that's hungry, come to me and enjoy wine. It was a picture of joy, of exhilaration, of a messianic age. Uh, it had loaded symbolism in the Old Testament literature. And yet Christ is in a setting where uh, the supplies have run out, where the party is dangerously uh, in danger of embarrassment and emptiness. And some way the setting uh, speaks to me of what the Creator found when He came to the earth. Men, uh, the party was over. The joy was over. Sin had done its work on the race for years, and something that you can never dream of, running out of resources at a wedding, 
running out of that which was to give the uh, enough wine to feel good, to, to take you out of yourself and joy. And it's as though Christ comes and visits the earth just as the Titanic is taking its final plunge. We've been partying on the deck for the whole journey. Ever the journey from Eden, our rebellion, seem, we seem to be getting away with it. But he comes in the fullness of time at the right time. And when he comes, the whole race is aware we've lost the joy of our humanity. We're far, far from God. Uh, we're empty. Uh, we've run out. We're running down. We, the joy of life is gone. We need the Creator to do something. If we're ever to get our joy back that we had way back from Eden on, for ever since the garden, man's been in exile. He's been running from God, running from God. He's not at home. He feels a, on a cold day, a windy day. You could stand out sometime with the wind, and if you're in the Midwest and the lightning and the weather, you could just see a groaning creation said, it wasn't always this way. There was a time when creation had no thorns, when creation was happy and dancing, and there was no sin in the world. There was no curse upon the human race, no curse upon the ground. But he said in Romans 8, all of creation is groaning together even until now. We run out of the joy of life. To live in this world without Jesus Christ is to end in a joyless party that has no meaning. It's why uh, you, you ever ask yourself, what, had, what made us all of a sudden become a drug culture? What, what, besides Vietnam, when the boys brought it back from the war, really exploded? Because when you're sitting in a foxhole out in Vietnam and you can get a joint, why not have one? You think you're going to go home in a body bag anyway. Uh, you know what? It makes sense for a man to get drunk when all of life is pain. His wife has left him. His kids are in rebellion. And his mother's dying. Where do you go for relief in a fallen world where it seems the party's over? Drugs make sense. Give me something to blow my mind. And you literally are blowing your mind. Because I need relief. I'm in pain. It's a terrible thing to be a lost sinner in a world without hope and without the wine of the Spirit and without the wine of divine provision and just living in the barren waste of this world's journey. It's a horrendous thing. The party ends, and in the place of it, we try to drown our sorrows with a thousand different intoxicants. Jesus comes to a party that has run out. He comes to a party that is tragically on the end of shame and embarrassment. We just don't have any more supply. And I, in my own mind, think, what a time for him to pull off his first miracle. When the supplies have run out, when panic is running through the guest uh, halls and the, the bridegroom and his parents who are to foot the bill and the supply, we run out and Jesus shows up. And the supply maker and the change agent and the transformer steps in. I think something I see here, thirdly, is that uh, when Christ comes, he is able to take the ordinary 
and to make something extraordinary out of it. He's able to take the ordinary and make something extraordinary out of it. Otis Wiley loaned me a tape. No, no, it was either Otis uh, or uh, uh, their pastor, Earl, that uh, loaned me a, a sermon by E.K. Bailey. And E.K. Bailey grew up in Oakland, became a marvelous preacher. And uh, he was preaching about meeting Christ, had gotten into trouble, had his rough years as a teenage boy, getting off the streets of Oakland and uh, surviving different things. But then he started talking about his life and when he felt the call of God in his life. And uh, he was saying, I, all I can say is I met him and he took the ordinary. He, and he would say he took a boy from the streets of Oakland and he did a job in my heart. He took me from ordinary to extraordinary. He took me from a life that was headed for maybe all kinds of disappointment, no telling what the trouble could be. But I met someone that could just take ordinary humanity, and when you lay it in his feet, he's able to work a miracle in the heart to change you. I think of Scott Thompson that grew up in this church, a drummer boy. He said all he was about, he went to De Anza or El Cerrito High, all Scott said he was about was girls and drums. And he was a marvelous drummer. I went to one of his last concerts. And he uh, came to our youth group, got saved, I think maybe seventh grade, eighth grade, grew up, broken home, lots of pain. And he said uh, he hated a birthday. He said, I hated my birthdays. And I said, and how was that, Scott? He said, because in the eighth grade, I couldn't read the birthday card. All I did was date girls and play drums and skip classes. I had no, no ambitions to do anything. Girls and drums. He got saved and became an avid reader. Went to Grace School of Theology at the church at the time, graduated from Dallas, in the ministry today. The boy that couldn't read had to pick up two to three languages to graduate from Dallas. What made the difference? Christ found an empty boy, and all the joy of life was gone. Watched his mom and dad break up. Watch alcohol nearly destroys parents. And he met this transforming Christ that can take the ordinary and make something extraordinary. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Closing out our time together today, we would remind you that copies of the broadcast, as always, are available if you would like to review them at your convenience or Use them in a small group study. Pass along to a friend or family member. Again, simply contact us here at Truth For Today, and we'll make sure that you get a copy. The entire series is available as well. And throughout the month of August, as you become a TFT sustainer with a gift of any amount, we have a very special gift we'd like to send your way with a little bit more about it. Our teacher and pastor once again, here's Pastor Phil Howard. The willingness of the Redeemer Here's a man that's in love with a woman, but he knows legally he has no access to her because 
there's another relative ahead of him that can purchase her, carry on the family name. And it's amazing. The deal looked good. When the man thought he was going to get property, he said, I'm going to go through with the deal. Then it was made clear, by the way, with the property comes Ruth. And right there, the man said, no, no, I don't want to pay out money for land and wind up with a widow. And here Boaz steps up. He said, I'm not interested in the land. I'm interested in the woman. And I think of the Lord Jesus Christ coming. And all he said, I didn't come just to buy stars, to buy back terra firma. I came to buy sinners back. Just give me a bride. I'll pay whatever price the Father demands. So we are the purchased people of God. The Romance of Redemption, a marvelous look at the book of Ruth, and it is yours for a gift of any amount this month, our way of saying thank you for being a TFT sustainer. Now, by the way, as you contact us and become a TFT sustainer on a regular basis, some of the other resources available to you are our quarterly newsletter, our once-a-year special gift, and take a break with Pastor Phil. It's the weekly video devotional that we have available. And again, that is for our TFT sustainers. No matter how big or how small the gift on a monthly basis, it's our way of saying thank you for partnering with us and allowing us the opportunity to continue the ministry of Truth For Today right here on KFAX. You can reach us at 855-833-9864 or valleybible.org. You can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278. We're here in Hercules. The zip code is 94547. Thank you so much for joining us today. And until next time, May the Lord richly bless you.